Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today we have joining us Tyler Carey. Tyler, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Thanks, Christopher. Tyler, tell us about your current role and your company. Sure, I'm the Chief Revenue Officer at Westchester Publishing Services, which is a US employee owned company. We're over 50 years old. Uh, we have offices here in the States, uh, two offices in India, one office in the UK, staff and freelancers spread all over the world. And we help publishers make books. Essentially, we act as the uh, content developers, editors, and typesetters on books, ebooks, digital learning products, and uh, anything that you can put in your hands and read, <clears throat> whether it's in a, on paper or on a device. I love that. I one of the things that I really have strived to do with this podcast is have a really wide array of companies on here. So as you know, as we talked before, I'm very excited to have a publishing company on here. Um, so uh, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to talk with you. Um, yeah, looking back sure. over your career, what are the three things that have really contributed to your success? Um, there's a, I mean, lots of things. Um, I've been very fortunate in a lot of regards uh, to have some exceptional mentors. Um, the three kind of traits that uh, I think have been really successful that I've been trying to pursue more during my career are certainly empathy with my customers and my staff. Um, humility, knowing that there's always going to be somebody far smarter than me in the room. Uh, I've certainly seen many sales calls go awry where somebody comes in to be the expert and then finds out that who they're talking to knows a lot more about these products or services than they do. Um, and, you know, I think that the third thing really is kind of like I referenced a little bit ago is just trying to find the right mentors and the right people to learn from. So being able to say, you know, I want to learn more and I want to be better and I want to get to understand more aspects of my industry, even outside of what I do and, you know, kind of finding the right people to support you there. So I've been very fortunate to work in a number of companies where folks kind of took me under their wing and helped me expand. Mentorship comes up a lot when I ask that question. Um, is that something that you actively participate in now? Yeah, I think there's, um, I mean, certainly in a, in a lot of different ways. Um, I try to, volunteerism maybe more than mentorship, but I try to get involved in the industry, join committees and nonprofits associated with the industry, join the boards of organizations um, <clears throat> and try to give back. Um, but yeah, certainly when I'm even working with my um, own staff or even sometimes the vendors that work with me, you know, if I have a sales rep really trying hard, you know, and they're using all the, the wrong phrases, like I need this to hit my number, you know, <laughs> I, tr I try to work with them to say, you know, here's what's going to help me get a deal over the line for you, but it's, you know, here's the things that won't, you know, so um, without trying to be patronizing about it, I try to, you know, sh share what I've learned in a way that hopefully is helping some other folks too. Right. So if, if I'm a young salesperson and I, I don't have a mentor, I want to find the right mentor. How should they go about finding that, that, that mentor? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, a lot of industries, um, you know, are doing more and more, especially during the pandemic to try to foster that. So, uh, I'm involved with a lot of industry groups in the publishing space um, where there's, uh, in some cases, even like kind of scholarships or sponsorships, you know, so when we all were getting together for in-person conferences, you know, 
Um, an example in the publishing space is the uh, Society for Scholarly Publishing. They actively, you know, put out that they want to put out scholarships for people who are younger in the industry to come and attend. Um, from a sales standpoint, um, I think definitely looking at if you're on LinkedIn and looking at the organizations that your clients are members of, I, you know, figure out which ones you feel you might be able to do something for. I, there was a rep I worked with early on in my career and he would take any volunteer activity that he could within a group, you know, so he'd be the guy sitting there at the registration table at the conference, signing people in as one of the vendors. Uh, and he probably met more people at the registration desk, you know, than anybody act actively working our booth at the conference, you know? So I, I think it, there's kind of comes to the humility thing. There's, there's really no, task that's kind of beneath you as a sales rep you know it's it, it's kind of like if if it's great i can help sort envelopes you know and, and get to meet 20 other people in the industry as we're doing mailings you know at a nonprofit that's associated with our industry then it's time well spent if you're getting to meet people and learn more about their aspect of the industry it helps you sell better that's great advice because you're also you're you're contributing you're putting stuff out mm -hmm. into the universe and and when you do that I, i'm a big believer that good stuff comes back your way exactly yeah so I think that's a great idea. Thinking back to when you got your start in sales, I love asking this question. When you got your start in sales, what do you wish you had been taught then? Um, I, I think, you know, the first job I had in sales, I was, <laughs> uh, I think I was 16 and I walked into a computer store on Long Island and I just asked, do you have any summer jobs? And the guy who owned the computer shop was just like, wow, you got the, the gumption to just walk in and ask for a job. You know, it's future for you in sales, young man. You know, so, so I started answering the phone and then he launched a website business. And the next thing it was, hey, why don't you go just drop all these things off at local businesses, all these little flyers. And people started asking me questions and I had to learn what it was that a website was because this is the early 90s and not everybody knew. Um, right. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of learned just, you know, kind of, shoe leather sales, you know, which I mean, like the Fuller Brushman kind of model, you know, which yeah. is very different than what I do now. But I think the thing um, that I, I picked up pretty quickly, um, but I wished I'd been given more formal training. I took until I was in, you know, kind of proper sales jobs after college, you know, selling services and learning how to be more collaborative that um, there's a knack for anyone in sales. It, you have a comfort zone to talk about what you offer. And so it's, it's tempting just to kind of you know, keep talking about, here's another feature, here's how somebody else uses it, here's a use case. Uh, so I think there's a temptation there just to tell. Uh, and so really for me, the, the thing that did help really turn my um, career in a very positive direction was just learning to not talk and just, you know, ask a lot of questions um, and let people tell you how they're using their current products, how they're using their services, where their problems are. Because there's a, a big temptation just to ask a lot of very pointed probing questions that just help the sales rep advance their own, right. um, you know, mission and and narrative. Whereas if sometimes if you can just sit and take notes and and just be really patient and see what people want to say, that's that's a lot more important. Yeah. Do you remember the first big deal you ever closed? Um. Yeah. Yeah. The first kind of big deal, I remember being really proud of a software sale that I did about um, almost 20 years ago. Uh, and that was definitely one of those learning lessons just because it, you know, it was a very complex sale, a lot of stakeholders, a lot of um, stakeholders on our side internally as well. Um, yes, absolutely. That one, the, you know, your first victory and your first big failure I always stick with you. Absolutely. We'll get to the failure. <laughs> oh, I got plenty of those. So. <laughs> Tell me about your transition from salesperson into sales leadership. What 
drove you to pursue sales leadership? Um, you know, again, that was a mentoring thing. I think I hadn't even seen it um, coming. Um, you know, I had a mentor actually at this company where we sold software. Uh, and, you know, I specialized in one of our products selling it. And uh, the other sales reps ultimately picked up the ability to sell that product or that service offering to their suite of clients. We kind of widened which verticals we were going to sell that to. Um, so I found myself having a, a targeted territory and selling this, this offering. Um, but then I also found myself being kind of brought in as like the sales engineer to help these other folks, these other like 20 odd reps, um, close this work in their space. Um, and the thing I think that, um, I hadn't even seen it as like a sales management thing. I just was kind of like their little, you know, Gilligan, their little buddy kind of coming along and helping them on the, on the sales call, you know? Uh, but you know, I had a mentor and he really saw what I was doing to help not just show up and talk about this product, but also to try to help my colleagues, you know, get these deals over the line, strategize with them. And so he put me in a, a management role and I'll totally admit I was not well-trained for it. I was not really well-prepared for it. Uh, and, you know, I learned a lot of stuff by kind of making mistakes and managing people initially. And I had some very patient people that I was fortunate enough to manage. Uh, and a lot of them were pretty good at managing up and saying, you know, here's, here's what's really going to help us here, you know, internally. Um, so I was uh, lucky to have a great team that I uh, was asked to manage early on in my career, and I'm still in touch with many of them to this day. Let's talk about some of those mistakes, because I think there are some very common ones that are made mm -hmm. when people transition into a management or leadership role. What were some of the mistakes you made and, and what did you take away or learn from that? Sure. Well, I think the, the biggest one is that, you know, because something works well for you, you think it's going to work well for everybody else. Uh, or even worse, you think that's the way it should be done, you know? So I think there was a lot of learning that I had to do there that the verbiage I use around, you know, something, the questions I'm going to ask a customer, the way I follow up, it's going to be very different than other people. Um, and it's something I still kind of slap my own wrist about to these days. You know, there's certain methods that I have right now with working um, with our market to better understand it and engage with people that work really well for me. And they might be geared towards my personality or my approach. Um, but, you know, I'm very lucky to have a very talented sales team working for me at Westchester and everybody kind of does things a little different, which is something I really embrace now. But early on in my career, I didn't get that as well. And so I found myself probably annoying people by saying, well, why don't you word it this way? Or, you know, that kind of stuff, which is the micromanaging stuff that doesn't help people advance things rather than the strategic stuff that does. Right, right. Um, for someone who's considering making the same switch, what advice do you have for them? Um, you know, I, I found myself engaged in, um, uh, you know, kind of training um, or um, programming around advancing management after the fact. And, you know, I think even if it's just a matter of signing up for like a, a single EMBA course, even if you're not going to pursue a full MBA or something like that, there's a lot of good content, especially it's available now um, through digital learning. Um, where, you know, it, it kind of ties back to that humility thing. You know, it's, it's, it's okay to say, you know, I need to know what I'm really, what skills I'm going to really need to do to be successful and, and what I need to know interpersonally to kind of work with people where they're going to want to, you know, kind of embrace what I'm suggesting. Uh, so I think certainly, you know, if I had more training, I think earlier on, that probably would have helped me. And it's something where, you know, I was fortunate, as I said, to have mentors who taught me that stuff. But I think there's uh, certainly a lot to be said for kind of formalized training on, on just how to be a better manager. Right, right. Um, what's the first thing a person stepping into a sales leadership role should do? Um, 
you know, and in more typical times, I'd say take each of your reps to lunch and learn a little bit more about them. Uh, um, of course, you know, it's, it's harder doing that via Zoom. And, and we have added staff at Westchester over the past year. So, you know, a lot of the ways we get to know people, you know, it's, it's more like this rather than, right. you know, kind of the, uh, you know, come into the office for a week and meet everybody kind of stuff that you typically would do. Um, I think the, the thing that I typically try to do is ask a lot of questions to find out um, what, um, what ways people approach things uh, so that uh, what tools they're used to using, how they use those tools, um, so that anything I'm suggesting is essentially um, something where I understand kind of where they're coming from rather than telling them how to do it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think really getting to understand not just who the people are and, you know, tell me about your family and that kind of stuff, but more the, uh, you know, tell me how you do what you do and what, you know, why you find these methods successful, uh, what's really worked well for you before. Um, you know, try to find out people's strengths so, so that you can help them play to them. Right. Expanding on that a little bit with this next question, what do you think really makes a successful sales leader? Um, I think the successful sales leaders are the ones who can um, ask the right questions of their staff where senior leadership's getting the information that they need to know. Um, you know, I think there can be, especially in the world of CRM where, you know, there's, you know, up to the minute data that's in a system, senior leadership at some companies I've worked at have been up to their sleeves in that, you know, data constantly and wanting to, you know, see, did this deal move yesterday and that kind of thing. So I think one of the things that, you know, can be beneficial in leadership and working with your team is just being able to help them understand what's being tracked so that they can, you know, monitor it and keep it up to date. But then beyond that, um, you know, helping them kind of navigate the morale piece of it. Uh, I, the, one of the best managers I ever had uh, used the phrase, you know, don't let the highs get too high. Don't let the lows get too low. And that's one I still use with folks now. So, you know, it's, it's almost like the victories are great, but it's how you na- navigate those losses sometimes. Uh, and as a sales leader, I think that's something that, you know, there will be losses, of course. And, you know, um, you know, kind of helping folks not get discouraged on that. If there are learning lessons, great. But if not, don't beat yourself up trying to find them, you know. Yeah. Um, do you have just a funny, crazy sales story you can share with us? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, like anybody in sales, we've all got tons of crazy stories, right? You know, the, uh, <laughs> the one that uh, sticks to mind for me was there was a, <clears throat> it had to be at least a year long sales cycle we had on a RFP uh, for contract for services. Um, this is several companies ago. Um, that company's not even in business anymore, so I can tell this story. <laughs> um, but we participated in an RFP and uh, with a customer, a very demanding customer. They asked a lot of great questions during the sales process. Uh, we were awarded the bid, and then there was a pretty long lag between when the bid was awarded and when the project got kicked off to get started. And I went to the kickoff meeting as the sales lead. And as I um, got about, actually, so I went up the night before <clears throat> and I got a question from the customer. They said, oh, you know, when did your flight get in? I saw it, I drove, it's like an hour and a half from our office. And they're like, oh, I thought you were out, you know, somewhere else, you know, like Chicago or whatever. It's like, no, no, nearby, you know. And then the next morning, um, cause I stayed over at a hotel just cause we had a very early meeting. The next morning I get to the meeting and the customer says, um, you know, here's the stuff we want to cover in our agenda. Um, I forgot to tell you these specific points. And they start rallying up a bunch of specific points, which weren't about what we sold at all. I mean, it wasn't like anywhere cl- It wasn't like, oh, well, we do that a little differently with our product. It was totally different stuff. Right. So we got about six hours into this kickoff meeting when it finally dawned on me that they had intended to award this to somebody else. And obviously something went wrong with the procurement process. So there I am having to like pull aside this person and say, this is really embarrassing, I think for all of us. But uh, 
I don't think you wanted me to come here today. I think you wanted this person from Chicago or whatever, you know? Yeah. So, um, the, the, you know, to their credit, they said, well, you, you know, I think almost it was like, well, you know, procurement, right? You know, it's too late now. But um, to their credit, they, you know, we took a step back, did a gap analysis. They said, well, these are the things that, you know, we really need. And we were able to focus on those core competencies. But, you know, kind of having that whole um, mistaken identity thing at dinner and it didn't dawn on me. I get there in the morning and then, you know, it takes me several hours to finally go, you know, I, I don't think you meant to hire us, you know, for this very large contract, you know. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, certainly there's always the, the other wacky just you know road stories traveling around and all that but i mean that, yeah. that kind of thing just always sticks with me so that is that's a crazy sales story yeah. holy <laughs> cow um i'm glad you're able to spin it back though and and keep things moving that's awesome <laughs> let's transition a little bit to the sad part of sales rejection sure what's the deal that you lost that just you thought you had it and you lost it and it just hurt yeah i mean there was one um we had a customer who um, flew to meet with us many times at our headquarters. We were getting all the right buying signals. Um, I even, <laughs> I nearly bought a car based on the projected commission, you know, <laughs> nothing fancy, but it was like, I needed a new car. And I was like, well, I'm going to be able to get the down payment. This is great. Went to the showroom, took a test drive. Thankfully, you know, my dad raised me to always wait until you actually have the check in your hand before you spend it, you know? Yep. <laughs> so, yep. But yeah, this was a, a huge, huge, huge contract, which, um, yeah, at the last minute they said, oh, we went another way. And, um, that was one where, you know, it wasn't just me that was duped as the sales rep kind of putting on my happy ears and wanting to hear the good stuff and not hear the bad stuff. This, everybody on our management team had heard the same things. You know, the fact that they kept coming out and doing all of these meetings told us it was down to us and this other vendor. Here's why we like you best, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, and ultimately it was something that was a decision that we didn't have the right, um, even though they were senior in their own organization, they weren't, um, they didn't have the right buying, you know, permissions to just make it happen on their own. And so they ended up having to like anybody, you know, be beholden to somebody else on something and you know, that the deal went the other way, but, but yeah, I mean, those kinds of ones really, you know, they're kind of a gut punch, you know, they take the, yeah. uh, the wind out of your sales, especially when everybody else was counting on it. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's definitely one of those things that, um, you know, sticks with you. So it's yeah. not one that wakes me up in the middle of the night, but certainly if there's a, a regret, that's an easy one to look back on. Yeah. So when you're mentoring and coaching your team mm -hmm. and they're dealing with rejection, do you draw upon those experiences when you're, or how do you draw on those experiences when you talk with them? Yeah. Well, I mean that don't let the highs get too high thing, right? You know, I quote that one a lot um, and not just for pithy maxims, but it's um, it's true. You know, I think we um, in sales, um, the thing that I try to track metrically with each rep is what our typical batting average looks like, you know, mm -hmm. how many conversations we have with, with uh, companies that need their content edited, typeset created um, where we lose. Is it people want to keep the work in house, you know, cause they have a greater level of trust there. Is it that there's other competitors, they're cheaper. Is it that a project just doesn't happen, you know? And so uh, what I try to do is just be objective with folks and say, well, why did we lose? Um, what are the things that we could have done differently, if any, but more often than not, it's really just a matter of kind of looking at those losses and just saying, well, of course, like anything in sales, it's a numbers game. We're going to talk to a hundred publishers across their sales team in a given week. And if we close a hundred deals a week, well, you know, we'd be millionaires and that'd be great, you know, but, um, you know, the fact of the matter is just part of the job is just having these conversations and finding when people are finally at the position where they need our services and we're happy to help, but, if they don't need our services, that's okay too. And we, you know, hopefully we take something good away from each conversation and can revisit those folks later. 
Do you do that as part of every, uh, like a retrospective as soon as you lose that deal? Or is that a more of a periodic thing where like every quarter you do it? Um, there's uh, three things uh, really. So as we do each loss, I certainly catch up with the rep <coughs> to see what's going on. Um, if there's anything we can take away, you know, the samples from this other company were um, more in line with what the customer was thinking of, um, that kind of thing. Is there anything objective that they shared that's helpful to know? Um, as far as, you know, kind of longer term processes, yeah, I do pull up each quarter, um, usually not with each individual rep, but just looking at the losses and just seeing, um, are we off the pace? And if so, is it because we were, you know, we had so many opportunities in the pipeline? Um, you know, is, is there, you know, some other cause? Uh, but every year at the end of the year, between Christmas and New Year's, I sit down and I kind of run what I call our baseball card, you know, and it's just kind mm -hmm. of every stat that we have based on the KPIs in the system. You know, how many opportunities do we create? How many do we close? How many are stagnant? Um, you know, and reasons why. And we do in our CRM, and I know we'll talk a little bit more about CRM in a minute, but in our CRM system, we do track each loss. We track a bunch of data points on each loss, you know, the causes, the reasons, if there was a competitive loss with this competitor and why. So there's a bunch of stuff that's text boxes that are a little harder to put into a baseball card, but there's also a lot of stuff that is just data points we can extract in a spreadsheet and, and put into a uh, dashboard essentially to look at, you know, how we're doing. If you're listening, well, you're, you're hearing this, you're listening to the podcast, but if you're wondering how to track losses, what he just described, that's how you track your losses. That is spot on. Uh, we, you know, when we work with people, we come in a lot of times, we don't see that. A lot of times people don't want to worry about the losses. Um, but you're missing a huge opportunity, I think, mm -hmm. if you're not doing that. Um, so when it comes to CRM technology, do you love it or do you hate it? Oh, I love it. I love it. I, um, uh, you know, the, the earliest sales jobs I had, um, I actually, real, real quick anecdote, one of the first sales jobs I had out of college was at a dot-com. Um, and I was, you know, kind of big beard hippie, you know, and here I am trying to wear a suit and blend in, you know, and everybody at the dot com was kind of, who's this guy in a suit with a huge beard, you know. Um, so the first day on the job, uh, I was there just as like the office admin. Um, <clears throat> it's just a, a job I, I took out of college so I could get my career going kind of thing. Um, right. And uh, the, uh, the guy who was the sales manager, uh, he said, come here. And he uh, brought me into a room that had just like office supplies scattered all over. And he said, could you um, organize the office supplies? He said, and then I want you to write down on a notepad um, every office supply that we have. And he said, how many pencils? How many, you know, he said, don't count the individual paper clips. Just how many boxes of paper clips? He said, just write up an inventory. So I said, okay. You know, so I <clears throat> did this on a legal pad. He says, great, go put this in Excel. And so I went and put it in Excel. And um, he was like, great, you're working with me now. And so I became a sales coordinator. And uh, he was a great mentor. <clears throat> um, who really brought me into the mix. But what he told me after the fact was that was an exercise to see if I had an attention to detail where if I was going to help him on projects, would I be able to keep it up to date in the system that he had? And I think we were using Goldmine at the time. This is like, you know, 2000, 1999, yeah. something like that. Um, and yeah, it was all for, so like that, he really helped mentor me and I'm still in touch with him. He's a good friend. Um, and he really taught me the power and the value of CRM. Uh, and that basically was like, if you have any piece of information, it goes in there. Uh, and, you know, here's the important stuff that you want to track, though, you know, because you could otherwise it turns into a shoebox full of receipts, you know. Uh, so he really guided me on how he was using Goldmine for this small dot-com startup. Um, he ended up leaving three months later because um, it was the dot-com era in the late 90s. And uh, 
I followed him to another startup. <laughs> and, you know, same thing there. We, we built a CRM system. And in that case, we were able to actually um, buy a list of all the clients in this one particular market. And that was really the first time I had a full CRM that I could slice and dice. And so right. since then, I mean, even at Westchester, uh, you know, my first thing on the job was setting up a CRM system for us, you know, before we even started picking up the phone and calling customers uh, when I, you know, joined the company about seven years ago. So it's, it's definitely, uh, for me, it's uh, an organizing principle that helps me better understand the market, but to your point, helps uh, understand where we're winning and where we're losing. Yep. So when you were thinking back, when you started at Westchester, you said the first thing you did was, or one of the first things was implement mm -hmm. CRM. Mm -hmm. What was your definition of success for that CRM implementation? The definition of success I had was that um, I wanted the senior team, um, both in kind of executive management, as well as in, you know, operational management and kind of mid-management to be able to see what we were looking at as far as new potential business. So my definition of success was when we finally got to the point, and it took a lot of iterations because this was um, the, the way the company had tracked stuff before was in more siloed compartments of data. Right. Uh, and so by putting everything into one big box where all of a sudden we could pull a report and look at it on the, the wall in the conference room, um, it opened up a lot of discussions about, you know, let's look at what our batting average is in this market. Why are we not winning more business here? Uh, and so the success there was, and it took probably a good year before we had enough data to make it actionable because, you know, you can mm -hmm. create the skeleton and fill in the back data that the company had from its decades of existence. Yep. Um, but it took us a while till we had enough opportunities in the mix where we were tracking where we won, where we lost, uh, how many people we were talking to or just went stagnant, um, where we started to understand what those trends are. And it's, you know, different from market to market. In publishing, um, there's always a level of interest in talking about different ways of doing things. Um, mm -hmm. And there's also um, different times where that's going to be better to put into effect than others. So the fact that we had stagnant opportunities didn't necessarily mean that these were individual buying inflection moments that we missed. It was just kind of, well, it's a good thing we spoke with this publisher because when they are ready now, we're able to kind of put that into place. So there were a lot of those kinds of things where once we were able to have that cross-department dialogue um, to help fuel the direction of the services we could offer and getting everybody at the table on those discussions um, rather than just kind of here's the spreadsheet, take a look, um, which is you know what initially started at because we didn't have enough data. Once we had people actually slicing and dicing that information, that, that made me feel like we had a, a success in place. Was there anything through that process that was harder than the rest that was more of a struggle? Um, yeah, I think getting to the right level of information for everybody because different um, stakeholders are going to have different levels of um, detail that they want to have on a deal, um, that they want to have on a customer, that they want to have on uh, in reports. Um, so it took a lot of calibrating around to put together kind of like a report that we still produce every week um, mm -hmm. of the pipeline and what information was important to have in there. Because it took a lot of calibration so that everybody was happy with that report and we weren't having to create separate versions for different departments needs, you know, so it, it and it's still something we calibrate. We, you know, typically right. once a year, we kind of take a step back, look at what we're doing in, a CR, in our CRM system and revise it. Right. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to stretch here a little bit um, mm -hmm. because you've been through this. Um, for people that are going to be in your shoes and they're like, hey, I'm coming to this place. I know they don't have a CRM. Mm -hmm. um, what should be their keys for success? What should they be worried about? 
Um, the first piece I think is always um, knowing what their own strengths and weaknesses are on uh, implementing a CRM. So uh, there's a reason there are so many people who are CRM consultants, you know, that um, these systems can be as simple or as complex as you like. Um, so I think kind of just first off, knowing what your, your own capabilities are, is this something you can handle? And I was fortunate enough just trial by fire over my career, having had to do so much with CRM systems that I could implement one when I came to Westchester. If I was coming into a company 10 times our size, there was no way I would have been able to accomplish um, what we needed. Um, you know, if it's something that was going to have a hundred plus licenses or something like that. Right. Uh, so, you know, I think um, knowing one's own limitations, knowing um, what resources are out there to help. Uh, but also the, the other key piece that I think anybody coming into a new operation, which is going to really kind of embrace CRM or relaunch CRM, is, is supporting data. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're big fans of um, certain products that are, you know, uh, you know kind of like um, databases online where we can look up businesses and load their info. And, um, you know, there's tons of good ones out there. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're big fans of trying to make sure we understand the universe of prospects there uh, so that we can, um, you know, kind of know what, whatever data we can backload onto our existing data, if we can get data about revenue, number of employees, that kind of thing, that, that's the kind of stuff where it starts to help you find the trends of who are the people who are our customers, who are the accounts we don't ever seem to win. Um, you know, so I think kind of adding data that's externally sourced Mm -hmm. um, you know, is, is very helpful out of the gate when you're trying to start to analyze things because you, you won't have enough data yet from your own wins and losses to analyze what's working and what's not. Yeah, that's great advice because that, that's something we talk about with our clients and uh, prospects is that, you know, it's expensive to have someone send their keynote <clears throat> all this data. Take yeah. advantage of there's it's there's so much out there, like you said, and it's so easy these days to build those integrations to get that data coming mm -hmm. in. Um, and really augment and flush out that data set so it becomes really actionable. Mm -hmm. um, that's terrific advice. Uh, Tyler, if people want to reach out, we're coming to our end here of Sales mm -hmm. Lead Dog. If people want to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way for them to connect and maybe learn more about your firm? Sure. Um, well, the firm itself, uh, westchesterpublishingservices.com. Um, they can feel free to uh, browse around there. It includes links to our subsidiary in the UK, our subsidiary that uh, focuses on education services. Uh, so if anybody's looking for somebody to help them create, edit, or typeset, or uh, digitally produce content, they can certainly learn about that there. Uh, if anybody's interested in connecting with me personally, just for uh, following up on any of these points here, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, and I know you'll, you'll have the link in the, uh, the podcast notes. Uh, always happy to connect with folks and um, learn more about uh, their aspects of the industry. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you again for coming on Sales Lead Dog. It has been terrific uh, talking with you and listening to you. Oh, my pleasure, Christopher. I enjoy the podcast and I am you know, grateful for the opportunity to participate. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Thank you again. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube, and you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales lead dog is supported by Impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.